Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletaub from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from San Francisco is Andrew Mast. Andrew is counsel to the Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust at the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, first, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm pleased to be our here. Pl- our pleasure. So, we're going to talk today a lot about the supply chain initiative. Uh, first, can you tell us what the initiative is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I get started, let me just provide a standard disclaimer that the remarks I'm making today represent my own views, uh, but don't necessarily represent those of the Department of Justice. Um, but with that said, yeah, in, in February of this year, the division announced the supply chain initiative in partnership with the FBI. And what this initiative did, uh, well, it was really prompted by the significant challenges caused by supply chain disruptions resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic. So transportation constraints, disruptions to routine business operations, difficulty obtaining raw materials, these have all led to increased costs of production and shipment and in turn has, has led to higher prices for consumers. And so what the division is looking at through this initiative is as market disruptions subside following the pandemic, we are actively on the lookout uh, for those that would use supply chain disruptions as a cover for collusive conduct. And the current disruptions that we're seeing uh, present in in today have led to prosecutions, uh, antitrust prosecutions in the past. So prior to, to my role in the front office, with the antitrust division. I worked uh, out of San Francisco and as a trial attorney, and and we undertook two prosecutions that are really relevant as examples. One was in the wake of the Great Recession and the foreclosure crisis. We prosecuted a a series of prosecutions related to collusion in in the real estate industry at at foreclosure auctions and and bid rigging cases stemming from, from the foreclosure crisis. Then, more recently, in 2019, the division prosecuted uh, two Cantuna companies and three senior executives, including the CEO of Bumblebee Tuna, after developing evidence that the companies entered into a price-fixing agreement uh, in response to a spike in the cost of raw tuna. And so, as part of the supply chain initiative, we're really being proactive in our efforts to try and and root out this type of behavior. Um, We formed a working group with uh, competition enforcement agencies from some of our international partners, um, Australia, Canada, Great Britain, and New Zealand. And and we're working together and sharing intelligence, utilizing our existing international cooperation tools uh, to detect and combat these collusive schemes. We're also conducting outreach, direct outreach to the business community at industry meetings and conferences. And and really during this outreach, uh, we're helping them, helping educate them about uh, antitrust laws and encouraging them to be aware in case they are are victims of collusive conduct. And this also presents uh, an opportunity for the division to encourage companies to invest in compliance programs and for us to talk about our leniency program. So you just, let me go right off of something you just mentioned, which is the leniency program. Can you say more about that? 
Yeah. Um, so the antitrust division's leniency policy provides corporations and individuals um, that promptly self-report their own uh, cartel activity, their own criminal conduct. It gives them an opportunity to avoid criminal prosecution and, and correspondingly avoid criminal fines, a conviction, prison sentences, et cetera. Um, and I'll start in terms of talking about the leniency policy by really making a point that I'll come back to, and that's the compliance officers really play an important role in detecting and stopping and reporting antitrust violations. And, and we've recently made some changes to our, our leniency policy to reflect, uh, reflect that. Um, but, but going back to kind of the basics, um, it, our leniency policy enables a company or individual to, to get a pass if they meet certain requirements and they have to cooperate with the investigation, um, and, and I, I mentioned that because, you know, antitrust crimes, the, these type of antitrust crimes always have multiple competitor companies colluding in some form or fashion. So there's always cooperation available. And, and under our leniency policy, there can only be one leniency applicant per conspiracy. So the companies must take, you know, swift action once the misconduct's uh, detected in order, in order to qualify. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes leniency such an effective tool because it encourages this self-reporting and, and the members of the cartel are really in a race against each other. And, and then winning that race can mean the difference, you know, between hundreds of millions of dollars in criminal penalties for corporations. And it can mean the difference between executives going to jail or not. Um, I'll, I'll mention the division has two types of leniency. Uh, um, applications. There's type A, and that refers to leniency applications that come before the division has any information uh, about the cartel. And, and in type A applications, individuals who are employed by the leniency applicant are guaranteed immunity as long as they cooperate with the investigation. In type B leniency applications, that refers to a scenario where the application comes after the division has some information about the cartel. And in that case, the company gets immunity in the form of no fine, but the division has discretion as to whether to give immunity to, immunity to individuals. And that, that reflects uh, the division's focus on, on individual accountability. Uh, to start the, the question I mentioned, we recently made updates, you know, just to highlight those. Um, last April, was, we made these updates. This was the first time since 1993 that we had, we had made any changes to the policy. And what this did was we requ now require a leniency applicant to promptly report uh, to the division in order to qualify for leniency once it uncovers this, this conduct. And so what that means is a company can't uh, discover unlawful conduct and sit back and hope it goes unnoticed. And, and here's where it relates to compliance officers. We make clear that you know, the division considers a company to have discovered the illegal activity at the earliest date in which authoritative personnel for the company, such as you know, the board of directors, uh, inside or outside counsel, or uh, compliance officers are informed of the conduct. Um, the other change we made to our leniency program 
requires an applicant to improve its compliance program in order to qualify uh, for leniency. Um, last thing I'll say on leniency is as part of these updates, we updated our frequently asked questions and published a, a, a new set of FAQs. And these are written in plain language. They're designed for lawyers, non-lawyers alike. And so I'd encourage the listeners uh, to review the division's leniency policy. Um, you know, a link is displayed on our, our website uh, and, and have an understanding of, of, of the changes we made. Well, and I'll see if I can get a link to that in the blog post that accompanies the podcast to make it easier for people. Now, in addition to looking at the supply chain, one of the things that's been a focus for the DOJ of late has been labor market collusion. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and why this is a priority? Sure. And, and it, it absolutely is a priority. Um, you know, ensuring workers receive the benefit of benefits of competition is, is a priority for both the division as well as the Department of Justice as, as a whole. And collusive agreements in, in labor markets, they result in real harm, uh, you know, whether in the form of lower wages or reduced mobility um, or limiting the ability of workers to bargain for better terms of employment or job opportunities. Um, the division currently has four indicted cases alleging labor market collusion. Um, and and I'll, I'll note that while the prioritization and, and prosecution of these labor market cartels is relatively new, the conduct at issue is, is not any different than the criminal conduct we've always uh, have and continue to prosecute. So agreements between employers to fix the wages of employees, those are price fixing agreements. And agreements between employers not to solicit each other's employees, these are sometimes referred to as no poach agreements, those are market allocation agreements. And so it, it's absolutely a, a priority and, and compliance officials should be, should be aware um, of, of potential labor market collusion in addition to you know, potential price fixing or allocation agreements of, of goods and services. Well, it's it's one of those emerging issues, and I think it's certainly timely given all that's going on within the labor market. Now, the, one other area that the antitrust division has been focusing on is government spending. What, what issues are you addressing there? Yeah, so you know, government contracts and and the procurement system uh, can be, and and really based on our experience, uh, has often been targeted by anti-competitive conspiracies and, and other collusive or fraudulent conduct. And there's a recent, a recent court opinion that really puts it succinctly, and, it, and it, the, the opinion reads, like bears to honey, white-collar criminals are drawn to billion-dollar government programs. Mm -hmm. And so what we are really focused on is that the fact that Procurement collusion costs taxpayers money, and the OECD estimates that bid rigging uh, in government or in government contracts may inflate the costs of those contracts by 20% or more. So that's that's literally a 20% collusion tax imposed by conspirators on government tax or on government customers, and then ultimately all of us as taxpayers. And so. This is absolutely a focus for the division. It's even more of a focus with the recent uh, Infrastructure Spending Act 
that's a $1.2 trillion um, spending bill. And, and the amount of money at risk, you know, given the OECD 20% estimate of $1.2 trillion, that's $240 billion uh, at risk of, of collusion. And so that's, that's really why government spending is such a focus for, for the division. That's a lot of zeros. Um, now, this naturally leads, at least in my mind, into a discussion about the procurement collusion strike force. What is the strike force and what does it mean for suppliers to the government? Yeah, so the, the, the division's focus on combating corruption of the procurement process led to the creation of the procurement strike force or PCSF, as we often call it. And what that is, is it's the department's coordinated and national response to combat collusion in public uh, procurement. And what, what the PCSF is, is it's an interagency partnership between um, you know, the, the division and other uh, U.S. attorney's offices. And, and the, the program really has two main object objectives uh, aimed at protecting the procurement process. Um, and, and I'll note, when I say procurement process here, I'm, I'm talking about federal state, and local procurement, so all levels of government. Um, and the first objective is really to deter antitrust and, and related crimes on the front end of this procurement process through outreach and training. The second objective is to facilitate more effective detection, investigation, and prosecution of the crimes. And since, since the PCSF was founded in 2019, We've, we've been successful in meeting both these objectives. We've trained more than 20,000 agents, attorneys, auditors, analysts, and procurement officials. Uh, we have more than 675 members in the 22 districts, the, the United States Attorney Office's uh, districts that we, that we work with and, and the members from law enforcement communities such as the FBI and, and offices of inspectors general. Um, we also have a PCSF global initiative um, where, where we extend this, uh, uh, this initiative beyond uh, the United States and, and protect tax dollars that are uh, spent abroad. Um, the PCSF has a data analytics initiative. This is designed to build out systemic proactive detection techniques across the government by really using the procurement data that, that we obtain from, you know, uh, these contracts in the procurement process. Um, and, and, and now we're seeing the, the fruits of this investigative work in, you know, the PCSF has opened more than 60 investigations since its founding. And, and the results of those are, are becoming public. I don't have time to discuss nearly all of these, but I'll, I'll highlight one, uh, which is, you know, just last May, uh, a former Caltrans employee pleaded guilty for conspiring uh, with contractors and others to rig bids on state government contracts. He also pleaded guilty to bribery concerning programs receiving federal funds. And, and in this case, the defendant had, had an agreement in which he received 10% or more of the value of, of the contracts in the form of bribes. And this was either in the form of cash uh, or other forms of payment like wine or home construction projects. And, Ultimately, there were over $8 million of contracts that were corruptly influence, uh, influenced, and, and so that's over $800,000 in, 
in, in bribes. And, and these charges and those like this one really demonstrate the division's commitment to holding companies and, and individuals accountable when they cheat uh, the government procurement process. Well, as a California resident who lives not far from one of the major Caltrans projects, yeah, I recall seeing the reports of that uh, that incident. Yeah, so Adam, uh, just to to wrap up um, here, I would just simply say, you know, it's it's a busy time for the antitrust division. Um, I've highlighted a few of our enforcement priorities, um, but the division's enforcement efforts are are far broader than what I had time to discuss. And we ended fiscal year 2021 with 146 pending grand jury investigations. That's the most in 30 years. Currently, the division's in trial or preparing for trial in 21 cases against 45 defendants, and that includes nine current or former CEOs or presidents. And the high volume of, of litigation and investigations really show this, these pro proactive enforcement efforts. It also shows the importance of that compliance officers can play. And, and, you know, I mentioned the updates to the leniency program that I discussed. That really is, is showing the division has an appreciation of the importance of compliance officers and, and the importance of having an effective compliance program. So, as I said before, I'd encourage all listeners to be familiar with our updated leniency policy and, and the corresponding FAQs, but I, I also want to just thank you for the opportunity to talk about the division and, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. And I think, you know, as you lay out all the pending cases, there'll be a lot for compliance teams to be watching to see what comes out of them and no doubt lessons to be learned uh, for enhancing compliance programs and getting the attention of senior management. Well, Andrew, again, thank you for sharing these insights with us. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Trittletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.